Welcome, 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 welcome. This is episode two of the Barn Burners in the Can podcast, which is part of the Barn Burner Podcast Network, where we'll be discussing movies, TV, and other random pop culture. Today, we're talking Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. And I know we're about a month late, but honestly, we had to, we had to synthesize our thoughts. This is something that was near and dear to us. This is The Chief, and I'm here with my fellow fan of the galaxy far, far away, Biggie Burns. Everyone, grab an extra bottle of blue milk. Make sure the first order ain't tracking you in hyperspace. Let's get some extra coin to play the slots at Canto Bite, and let's jump on our fathiers and get it. Biggie, how you doing, man? What's up? Doing good, Chief. About three blue milks in tonight, ready to get into the weeds and fanboy out with some nerdy conversation. Good, man. Uh, I, I likewise have been, uh, has been drinking some blue milk, and I'm feeling a little tipsy at this point. And I could start to feel, I believe, the force is strong in both of us, so that's going to be important as we move forward. So we should mention that we will be discussing the plot of the movie with full spoilers. So turn this off and go straight the hell to the theater to watch The Last Jedi if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, it's, I highly recommend seeing it on the big screen with good sound. It's one of those type movies. Um, so we're jumping right in. We, uh, we're starting off with just our one-sentence review of The Last Jedi. Just a quick summary. Biggie, what do you got? All right. I thought long and hard about this, and it's really tough to cram a review of this movie into one sentence. But I gave it a good effort. So, The Last Jedi is an aesthetically perfect classic adventure story about fantastically conflicted characters. That's good. That, that was short. I, I had included a lot of conjunctions in mine. Oh, um, man. See, also, that's the trap. You got to stay away yeah. from all those conjunctions. Yeah. Well, hang on. Well, let, me, let me give you mine. Mine is a, mine's a rip-roaring, engaging space adventure that dares to do what many blockbusters don't. Hone in on the characters, drill down on what makes them tick, and challenge them individually, all while defying and subverting all Star Wars fans' expectations. How do you feel about that? Too many conjunctions? Or do you feel like it was succinct? I, I think that you exploited the hell out of a loophole. But it works. Okay. Well, that's what I do. Yeah. I live in the loophole, man. Uh, so I'm like not this, bash it. <laughs> this, this movie, uh, it, is, it was written and directed by uh, a guy named Ryan Johnson. So if you hear us refer to Ryan or Ryan Johnson or Johnson throughout the podcast, you'll know we're talking about both the writer and the director. Uh, December of 2017. And it is, of course, the direct sequel to Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Um, it's part of this new sequel trilogy since Disney bought the franchise that they have been making. Um, so we'll start like we'll start right at the opening. I think the opening is a great place to start, both in terms of chronologically and also in terms of just excitement. So the opening uh, it kicks off with what is called what is basically like a bombing run. So at the end of The Force Awakens, uh, the Starkiller base was destroyed. The First Order understands that if it uh, that it deploys the rest of its forces very quickly, it can snuff out the resistance because it knows where the resistance's base is. But knowing this, the movie begins with the, the frantic evacuation. The resistance is getting the hell out of their base while the getting's good. Um, now, of course, this has kind of echoes to the Empire Strikes Back at the beginning of Empire, uh, which is episode five of the series. There's a base evacuation. Um, but this movie, it did something that I thought, and we've discussed this before, but it, it sort of hones in on the, the resistance at large rather than sort of spreading it across the galaxy and only letting us get to know a few characters. So, you know, we get to know everyone. We get to know lieutenants and different, uh, different persons in the command structure. 
Um, and I got to say, th- th- uh, you might disagree. I'm interested to hear what your point is, but this is probably the most exciting intro I've seen in a Star Wars movie because it has this, it has the, the very old style World, World War II fighter pilot movie feel. Um, the Dreadnought, which shows up, which is a big ass uh, first order ship, kind of a huge Star Destroyer shows up and it has like a, a real submarine quality to it, which I'm sure this, the, the, uh, uh, Star Destroyers were initially designed after submarines, but it even has like the red tent in the cockpit. It has that real feel to it. And uh, that was just, it, it was really cool. And and so basically the the First Order attacks the ships and the Resistance has to attack the First Order Dreadnought with bombers. We've never seen bombers before. And um, did you notice that the bombs in the bombers had like messages written on them? And one of them said, I noticed it upon this this third viewing, uh, that one of them says "suck it, Snoke" on it, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, I yeah. didn't notice that uh, on yeah, like my viewings. Um, oh, man, that's a, a handy little Easter egg there. But they really did a lot, and that whole scene felt like every World War II movie I've ever seen. Uh, you know, like the classics, mainly from like the fifties and sixties. Uh, you think of movies like Twelve O'clock High or uh, maybe The Flying Tigers. I think I think that's the one I'm thinking of, John Wayne movie. Uh, about fighter pilots in the Pacific and uh, very much had that feel very much made you feel the stakes of everyone in these cockpits. And uh, like you touched on a second ago, this movie does, I feel like focus on ancillary characters in the resistance a lot more than any of the prior star Wars entries. Um, We got a lot more lines coming from uh, random guy, you know, working on console and a cruiser or something like that, or, um, or, you know, random starfighter pilots here and there, I guess with the exception being, um, a new hope, um, with all the dialogue that had to go on there in the climax. But, uh, now this scene far and away, in my opinion, the best star Wars opener of any of the star Wars movies so far. Yeah. You see, you feel the stakes to like you, like you mentioned too, with these, these people in the cockpit of the bombers and the, the, the bombers feel very lived in and worn and um, we're first introduced to a character uh, named Paige Tico uh, who, who comes into play a little bit later and, and spoiler, she does die in the opening scene, but she's the last bomber left. She's on this last bomber and has this like great shot of this one lone bomber kind of cruising forward towards the, the sweet spot of this uh, dreadnought. And, and they're trying to bring it down and she's the one last person alive and she has to kick like kick this ladder and then bring down the switch that opens up the gates for the bombs. And it's just a, like you just met this character. I mean, you literally just meet her and you're already like fully invested in her and what, you know, what's going to happen to her. I don't even, and, and she I doesn't mean, even have a line. Does she, I think she's silent the whole time or maybe she, so. she calls to her friend one time. So, you know, she like screams some guy's name a couple of times and that's all that she has, but you're totally invested in this character during the four minutes that she's on the screen. Right. If that, I mean, yeah. And, and I, I, so I think there was also some cool sort of stuff we'd never seen before is filmmaking type stuff is like the, we see the, the, the sound cuts out a little bit, you know, and it, all you hear is music and you don't, you know, it kind of goes a little bit slow motion when she's grabbing the button. And then it does that cool shot where it's like half her face laying on the, the platform there and like it zooms in on her eye. And it's just, there's, there's a lot of weird shots in this movie that this- are very un-Star Wars-y, but it works. Yeah, uh, unlike any other Star Wars movie, I uh, was just about to say the same thing. Uh, it, it The cinematography doesn't feel familiar in the universe, but damn it, it was good. 
And I I really enjoyed it. Um, One of the things about this movie that really stands out to me is how good everything looks. The sets are beautiful. Um, All the backdrops, all the shots. It's a pretty movie. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and so then, so the end of the bombing run, they, they blow up the dreadnought, but at what cost is the idea? We get introduced to Poe Dameron and his arc is, he's this hotshot pilot. He's this asshole. He's like the guy in your fraternity that, you know, that would, that would shotgun Peters by smashing them on his head and, uh, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't, would be the last one to sleep at the end of the night, you know, would maybe bust a hole in the wall by getting in a fight. He's impulsive. He jumps to action. He doesn't care about thinking about what he's going to do. Um, yeah, I mean, great he's, line. he's the same character that's been, that's been in a thousand other, uh, military movies and, you know, he's Maverick from top gun. He's the hot headed flyboy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they make jokes left and right about flyboys in the original trilogy. Poe Dameron is who they're talking about. Get your head out of your cockpit is a great line from Leia to him. And I, like that, I think that has so many implications beyond just what she meant literally. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and so his, he sort of, you know, he wanted to bring that dreadnought down. He brings the bombers in and then he gets chastised by Leia. And um, because she realizes that it's not about bringing one dreadnought down, the, the, the fight is much larger than that. And losing their entire yeah. bombing squad is not worth it. It's not, it's, you know, what cost was that? Um, and there's this great line where, where he says, there were heroes on that mission. And she says, uh, dead heroes, no leaders, which I thought was really good like that. I mean, the, the implication there that it doesn't matter like how heroic they are, that if they're not around to help lead the rest of the resistance, then, you know, what was the point? Well, and that line completely sets up his arc for the duration of the movie. Uh, there's heroes out there, but there's no leaders. Poe, you're a hero. Yeah, you went out there and you did exactly what you wanted to do. And it was heroic and it was valiant and it was exciting and it was fun to watch and we all loved it. But uh, everybody died and you didn't see the bigger picture. So learn how to be a leader. And then the rest of the movie is Poe trying to learn how to be this leader and how to fill the roles or the, uh, the gaps that end up coming into place throughout the rest of the film. It's hard, you know, it's hard to live up to your mentor's high expectations of you, but Leia certainly has those. She sort of has like a motherly feel towards them too that, that I thought was really cool. Um, so, so go ahead. So before we get into uh, too many of these, these subplots and, and the different uh, character storylines and anything, uh, what are some overarching themes uh, that you think this movie had? Yeah, the, I mean, the, I think the overarching theme of the entire movie is kill the past. Um, it is... A, a theme that's literally stated uh, by Kylo Ren at one point, but yeah. I think it has so many meanings beyond each character moving beyond their, their restraints. So I think each character has sort of what they're set up to be in episode seven. And this movie takes them well beyond challenges them in the worst way possible for them. And then makes them evolve and move beyond what they were before. Um, so that's very individualized. Then it also has uh, sort of implications related to the star Wars canon. Like, I think that Ryan Johnson's almost also saying when he puts that line in there, we can't just, we can't be like completely beholden to everything that's come before in star Wars. We have to move forward. We have to evolve not only the characters, but the franchise as well. What about you? I think that's a big reason why Disney went ahead and brought him on for another trilogy. Yeah. I'm uh, excited about that. Shout out to Ryan Johnson. 
yeah, props to that guy. Uh, I'm excited about that trilogy too, especially with him being able to uh, control the reins all the way through. I think we'll get a, a really compelling story. But uh, for me, the single biggest theme in this movie is failure. Um, every major character in the uh, throughout the movie fails in a big way in this movie. Um, it's another, uh, you know, and like Empire and Attack of the Clones as well. You know, this is a, a common theme in all the middle chapters of the Star Wars trilogies. Right, is a uh, failure. You know, Anakin fails in Attack of the Clones. He, he gives in and. Uh, starts to go down the dark side. You know, he doesn't listen to his mentor or anything like that. He he completely sets himself up and he is, his fate is sealed in episode two. And uh, in Empire, you know, it's one of the most bleak movies of, of the, the entire series, uh, especially the ending. Uh, you know, Luke does everything wrong throughout the entire yeah. movie. And, uh, you know, Han trusts the wrong people. Leia trusts the wrong people. Lando screws up the whole time, even though he's a new character that we're just introduced to. Um, and so they really, they kept that theme alive, but Ryan took it to so many other places and uh, really got creative with it in this movie. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Anakin's big problem was the sand in Attack of the Clones. You know, that shit gets everywhere. It's coarse and it uh, it gets everywhere. Uh, well, I think we can all relate to him on some level there. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and Luke, the, the, the moment where he realizes his father is, in fact, the villain of the entire saga. And uh, that's not true. It's impossible that, that we get that line delivered in Mark Hamill's glory. It, it's a classic, man. Uh, classic voice acting of Mark Hamill. Yeah, he's the best. Uh, so at the end of the bombing run, Poe is pissed um, that Leia is not totally revering him. And the resistance escapes, though. A very limited amount. 400 people escape. And they're on multiple ships. They're in hyperspace. So they think they're away. Because up until now, uh, in the Star Wars saga, once you hit hyperspace, people can't track you. You just disappear. And then... Good to go. Maybe they can find you. Yeah, you're good to go. You're gone. Uh, you scrambled the... Uh, you, you know, you got your uh, radar blocker and you're, you're out. But in this movie, uh, we realize that the First Order has been developing what they call new tech. So this is new shit that we're introduced to, and that's where they can track people through hyperspace. Uh, and I thought something was really cool was in uh, Rogue One, one of the, uh, not not episode movies, but one of the uh, side movies in the, the Disney Star Wars, um, there was actually a mention of that. There was a mention of the Empire developing new tech to track people through hyperspace, which I thought was a cool little yeah. build up to this. That was a great little Easter egg, and, and that also touches on another... Uh, kind of main idea that I have about this movie and this movie more so than any other star Wars movie ties all of them together. To me, it, it really makes the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy feel like they're in the same universe more so than, uh, than they did before. And uh, it's those little things like that, you know, even this little side movie, uh, that's just a one-off, not part of the, the main saga. They, bring in little bitty Easter eggs, just about hyperspace tracking. That's a throwaway line in rogue one, but a huge plot point here in the last Jedi. And, uh, that kind of setup is a, it's right. a blast. You know, it's something that makes huge, like sci-fi fantasy, uh, universes and, and stories like this that much more intriguing. Yeah. That's why people buy into them is this whole world building aspect. Um, so that, you know, this whole movie is almost like a chase movie. So the, the first order is chasing the um, resistance across the galaxy. 
and the resistance can keep ahead just a little bit to not get blown up because they're lighter and faster. Uh, but the first order ultimately realizes they'll run out of fuel and fuel. That was something that I hadn't, that's never come up before in the star Wars universe, the idea of fuel, which I mean, obviously makes sense, but I like how that was just a thing in this movie. And it, it like, it makes sense. There's just more stuff that you always kind of wondered about. They just get talked about in this movie. It really threw me off when they started talking about fuel. I said, wait a minute. Uh, why are we discussing this? This is a Star Wars movie. They're not supposed to be worrying about fuel or anything like that. But uh, apparently, I've been wrong this whole time. You, yeah, so you took you out. You thought that they just kind of had unlimited fuel because it's kind oh, of a space yeah. fantasy type deal. Well, yeah. you know, I thought they had some sort of nuclear fission or something like that. Okay, I that makes sense. But uh, no, so it was a, a whole new layer of concern that uh, you had to consider, and you know, I thought it. I mean, it was definitely a good plot device to up the stakes and to sure. kind of stress you out a little bit as the viewer. And it makes sense. Um, it's another one of the great things about the Star Wars movies and, and especially the original trilogy, as opposed to the prequel trilogy, is that they feel real and relatable. Um, everything is old and beat up and dirty. The aesthetics seem like real life. Right. And then the characters seem like real life. They're, they're relatable. They do things that you would expect other human beings to do. And they're set against this fantastical and outrageous backdrop. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that it was so big when it came out is because nothing else was like that up to that time. Yeah. You can believe in all the characters. Right. But, uh, and I think that the aesthetics and the uh, real world concerns like that are, are part of what helps you believe in the characters. Yeah, I agree. Um, how you would sort of put yourself and imprint yourself on one of the characters and you would look at them as if, oh, that's what I would do. That's important in a movie. The audience has to identify with someone and kind of along with one of the characters. Um, so so the, the resistance is on the run. We get Finn wakes up uh, out of the uh, – he's in like a, a back to – like kind of encasing, like in a back tie suit or whatever. And, yes. uh, and and he, he is that back die is what it is right isn't that right I, I guess I think it's back die and yeah uh, I, think, I don't yeah, know back maybe, maybe back die is the plural maybe back die is the plural oh, who knows man yeah we're we're getting lost in some galaxy well, far far away grammar right there that might be a little too much even for me yeah they don't have necessarily possessive nouns in the galaxy far far away but um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah we'll we'll go with uh, we'll go with back to he comes out and then his first line which I thought was great. After waking up, after battling and losing to Kylo Ren, protecting his friend Ray, is he his first question is where's Ray? And then we get this great cut, like straight to Ochto, the island that Ray was left off on with Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, and um, and you get this great pan across the the water, and I mean, I mean, just this 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 Ireland's where they filmed all the Ochto stuff, dude. It, like such a beautiful area in which to film, like just like very incredible landscape shots and water shots of islands and sunsets. And I mean, it, like you couldn't have asked for a better place in which to shoot a movie. I mean, cause you could make these sort of picturesque shots and I mean, it literally picks off or picks up exactly where the force awakens left off. Um, and so you have Ray walking up to Luke, handing him his father's lightsaber, the Skywalker family lightsaber that he lost on cloud city. And, uh, and kind of gives him the look of, Hey bro, like we need you. Uh, and so uh, without going into what exactly happens, I mean, we can, but what did you think of Luke Skywalker, famed Jedi master, 
and uh, you know, a little bit fallen at this point. What do you think of his arc in this movie? I thought it really reflected Yoda uh, when we found him in Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, it's not what I wanted necessarily, but it made sense and and it was well executed. They they did well. And I, I ended up liking it nonetheless, uh, even though I didn't get what I wanted out of Luke's character and out of Luke's story arc. Um, it was really compelling and probably the best part of the movie for me. Um, the last Jedi is all about the Jedi characters. Um, you know, the, the other subplots, you can kind of take them or leave them and you can change them and you still have the same movie, but uh, you really can't get rid of the relationships between uh, Ray and Luke and Ray and Kylo. Those are the central uh, or the center of this movie. Yeah. And the beating heart of it for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, uh, Mark Hamill was incredible. I mean, he really delivered on this, uh, you know, watching it a couple more times. It just kind of makes me sad that the guy got so typecast and, and we missed out on his acting ability for so long. I know. And if you know anything about Hamill and, you know, and just in, in when he's doing interviews and shit, he's like the goofiest dude ever. Like he's like a, like a crazy ass grandpa. That's just kind of loony and has like dad humor and and so to, to see him turn in this role of like a broken man, a man with a lot of years of tragedy that had just taken its toll on his soul was uh, was great. And I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I was shocked at how good he was. Um, I don't shocked maybe is too strong of a word, but he was great. I mean, it, no, it was just a great. It. it was a great role. Yeah, he did. He did. It was. You know, it was a great role. His, good writing. The opening scene when it comes in with him on uh, on that island. And just the, the look that he delivers and then he's sitting there and you can tell that he's totally perplexed and he's confused and he's trying to think all this through. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, all right, thought it through time to go. And, yeah. And, and that's it. And yeah. Like, okay, you're getting in my way. I'm just going to go on about my day and pretend this never happened. It tosses the fucking lightsaber over his shoulder. The two years of nerds waiting to see what he would do. And then and literally just, just says, Fuck this thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was great. I thought that was that was the first time where I realized I was watching something that wasn't going to completely conform to my expectations. It was the first time where I knew that we were about to be in a ride um, that that it wasn't it wasn't just about like satisfying everything that I wanted. It was about yeah subverting all those expectations and twisting twisting what I knew Star Wars could be. Oh, that's because one, of that, like one hundred percent what this movie did, and uh, I think that's yeah. You know, for me, that's great. Uh, for a lot of fans, I think that's the problem is it really subverted the rest of the universe. And uh, to be honest, that's probably a fair complaint because uh, it did. It, it, it kind of undercut a lot of what had been established before. And it, it really took you into some unexpected places. And, and it did so again and again. And then when you thought it couldn't do it again, it did it again. And then when you yep. thought you had it figured out and it couldn't do it again, it did it again. Yep. And, uh, you know, the movie did it in a really effective way, which I loved uh, because it kept me guessing the whole time. And every time, you know, I thought that we had, we jumped the shark and that we were over the big twist and everything. Here comes another one. Um, so that was fantastically entertaining for me, but I could see how people would get frustrated with it. Um, people that really wanted to, I don't know, to put a neater bow on the force awakens, especially. Yeah, the, uh, we'll get more into sort of like the fan expectations aspect later, but I think all the subversions and all the twists um, all serve the story at large, which I think is by far the most important part is that, 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 that all the twists serve the story. They're not just twists for twist's sake. 
They're not like M. Night Shyamalan, like, oh, he was a zombie the whole time. Like, it's like, and also Luke was not a zombie the whole time, so I don't think that actually happened. No, he was um, a force ghost the whole time. Yeah, yeah, he was a force spoiler. Luke was a force ghost at the end of the movie and wasn't actually there. So my, like, my opinion of Luke, I mean, to echo everything you just said, of course, um, I think it goes back to my theme, which is killing the past. I think that Luke is, he's our first example of this. He's a character who's struggling with his status as a legend in the galaxy. I mean, he's Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master legend, who single-handedly blew up the Death Star, who, like, confronted Darth Vader one-on-one, and then ends up fighting him, defeating him, destroying the Emperor as well, single-handedly bring, bringing justice back to the galaxy. And um, so he has this 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 legend status put behind him that he didn't necessarily ask for. He's never been asked in the glory of people. He's a pretty humble dude. He grew up a, a farmer on a damn moisture farm. Like he's uh, you know, he's more like Sergeant York than he is like Anakin Skywalker. I mean, again, it's a Anakin great comparison. But yeah, he's a he's a humble dude. And he, I, like one thing I love on multiple viewings, every time he uses the word legend. Um, he, it's like a bad word coming out of his mouth. He's like, disgusted he's like, that you're saying it. He is, and he, and he hates it, and he he never wanted it. There's a lot of discussion um, kind of about Luke like not being, quote-unquote, a badass in the movie. Um, but I think he does like what's perhaps like the most badass thing in Star Wars history by appearing as a force projection at the end of the movie. Like taking that um, AT-AT fire, like wiping his shoulder off like, bitch... And then just stunting on the whole force. One of the great scenes. Really oh, threw great, some attitude yeah, in there. And it was very it was Mark Hamill. Movie. Just channeling yes, his it, own goofy it was. dad humor and everything. It was wonderful. It was. and uh, so he's, But he's single-handedly. The character galvanizes the galaxy. I mean, everyone that saw that, and you could the implications of the movie are that it spreads across the galaxy like wildfire, the tale of it. Thought that a real, he really did that. Thought that he took all that fire and survived. And, and then saw what he did. Um, so then they even have little action figures of him, like little homemade action figures. So ironically, in rejecting the legend status, he finally realizes that he needs to embrace it and that what the galaxy needs is this otherworldly folk hero. That's what the galaxy needs. It doesn't need a hermit on an island. It doesn't need him to train 10 Jedi. It needs him to be that hero that he's always been in in the lore. And, and so he takes his proper mantle and uh, he becomes that legend. And single-handedly, uh, you hear a lot the phrase, he'll be the spark to light the fire that'll burn the Force Order down. And I think that's exactly what he did. Um, so I, it was a very satisfying and cathartic moment um, for Luke. There's a setup for this Force projection thing earlier in the movie, too. Um, and we'll get more into this, too. And Kylo and Ray have these Force time, what, what have been coined as Force time, which I love. Um, uh, sessions. I haven't seen uh, that yet. That's pretty good. Yeah. So we'll be referring to those as that. Just a little but, seven minutes in force time. Little seven minutes in force time. You know, and so Kylo mentions to Ray upon when they initially make that connection. He says, "You can't be doing this. The effort would kill you." Says that like at the very beginning. So it's established that it's like takes an insane amount of power and effort to even like communicate for seconds. So Luke does it for like you know ten fifteen minutes and. um and so, like, he becomes one with the Force. He is finally peaceful. He's cathartic. And, uh, and I, he, he, he disappears. And he, he finally embraces sure. his destiny. Uh, you know, he wanted for so long to, uh, to be just a, a nameless guy that, you know, was able to, to do what he wanted. He wanted to fight 
what was going on that he didn't like in the universe, but he didn't want to be a hero. He didn't want people looking at him. He didn't want to be in the spotlight or anything like that. He just wanted to keep his head down and do his part. And uh, there's this great, go ahead. Yeah. You know, and, and this movie was about him finally realizing that that's not what he was there for, that, that he needed to embrace this legend that he needed to go ahead and steer into it and make a difference and, and come out and really use the intangibles about his story that he never wanted and, and make them matter. While he's still like kind of in grumpy Luke mode, there he has this great line where Ray is trying to convince him to come back and join the fight. And he says, like, what do you want me to do? He was like, you want me to like ride up in front of the first order and kill them all with my laser sword or something like that. And, and, and then it's, it's true. exactly like, what he does. And then it's exactly what he does. I mean, just a masterful setup and a payoff. Like he literally faces down the entire first order by himself with the laser sword. And that's what this movie did better than anything else I've seen in a long time. You know, taking it out of the Star Wars universe, just to movies by and large. So many setups and payoffs in this movie. And it even turned a bunch of setups in, in the, uh, the last installment from The Force Awakens into a setup. That, you know, they weren't supposed to be in The Force Awakens, but... Ryan Johnson turned him into one and then he gave right. us the payoff. Yeah. And uh, it was fantastic. It made a lot of fun. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get why I, I get why Luke wasn't a lot of people's Luke. I get why, you know, Mark Hamill famously discussed how this wasn't his Luke Skywalker and how this wouldn't be, you know, necessarily the character that he would have seen. But I mean, if you take what Ryan Johnson was given, like, I just don't see an alternative way to do this character. I think that like, that's where he needed to be mentally. And I thought it was, I, I, I this is what yeah, I, well, honestly, you know, what, what I other, all right, I, we'll let you finish that and then I'll, I'll put in mine. This is, I mean, this is what I, this is what I hoped had happened. I wanted to see a different Luke. I wanted to see a Luke that was broken, not just like a happy mentor, like Obi-Wan or, you know, just any other mentor where they, you know, they find the mentor and like they're ready to go and the mentor is happy and boom, like all of a sudden they're fighting a the good fight again. Like I wanted some drama. I wanted some conflict. And I knew Luke was going to be in a bad place having like failed again, you know, having like uh, given his nephew to train and then failed. Uh, and you find more out about that, but to fail his nephew and then to have his, all of his students killed again. I mean, he is in a very dark place. He's in, he's in just absolute failure to the point where he's given up religion. He's if the, Je- the Jedi are a religion of the force, he says the Jedi need to die. Like this, this he's ain't working. Totally cut himself off from the force. For, you know, years, we can assume. He's basically the equivalent of an atheist, you know, like a like a dude whose wife dies of cancer and he swears off God and yeah, becomes like, an atheist. More like a Catholic bishop whose wife dies. Well, they wouldn't have a wife, but you get the comparison. Sure, yeah. yeah, like a, yeah, a, a huge leader in that religion. Um, exactly. Then, then sort of swears himself off. And, you know, and you bring that up, too. And like he's cuts himself off from the force. So a lot of people wonder why he didn't come riding in to save Han. Uh, that's why he didn't know what was happening. And in fact, he learns in the movie when uh, when he figures out that Ray and Chewie flew the Millennium Falcon to the island. It's just one of the most and, uh, understated people- and powerful scenes in the movie. Uh, you know, they almost slipped it in there because it, it flowed very much like a normal conversation. But it was extremely powerful when Luke delivered that line. You know, he just looks at Chewie and says, where's Han? You know, he yeah. kind of stops mid thought. He, he was going somewhere else with it. And then he realized, wait a minute, something's wrong. Why are you here? Why is that ship here? And why is he not here? Exactly. 
And, and I mean, and I, I like how you don't see, I mean, it would have been pointless to see a scene where Ray tells him the story of what happened because we already saw what happened. So then the next cut, we get back to him already having heard he's, he's let, he's literally laying down on a rock, like emotionally wrecked from what he just heard. Like basically like leaning down Luke is. And, uh, and, and he says, what do you want me to do? Like I came here to die. Go away. Like, I, I mean, you're not helping me. You're only hurting me. Now, so, I, you know, Luke's, this isn't what I wanted to see from Luke's storyline. You know, I, I could appreciate him, you know, being in kind of a dark place. And, and I expected that. And, you know, I was thinking that that's where it was going to go. But I was hoping that, you know, he had retreated somewhere to, to find a problem or to find a solution to the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Not just that he was, uh, you know, he was trying to hide or um, cut himself off like he was. But, you know, when you think about it more, like, how else are you going to, how else are you going to explain it? You know, with his connection to Leia, um, you know, we see in this movie that he can reach out and, and form a connection with her across the universe or the galaxy. And, uh, you know, without that, there's no way to explain why he didn't show up to save Han in the last movie, because he would have, you know, he's not the guy to abandon his friends. That was always the flaw. And, and I think that's why Hamill had such a, a hard time with the character is because he saw it as, you know, he was abandoning his friends. Yeah. Luke's never um, been a coward. Like and he's, he's never been a coward. No, he's not a coward and he cares about his friends above all else. You know, the, that was right. the whole source of his failure was that he cared about his friends and in empire. That's what you know led to him being defeated and to so much pain and everything for him and for everybody else involved. But there wasn't, really another way to take that character. And so, you know, he's not a coward still. He's just decided that this is for the greater good, that he's protecting his friends by cutting himself off, by hiding, by trying to kill this religion. Um, you know, there's honestly, there's a really ridiculous comparison that you can make to uh, Luke's decision-making into gun control <laughs> that I will try and avoid getting into, but oh, God. Uh, yeah. 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 It, Cause it, it you know, because of the uh, just inherent political aspect of it. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that just tries to get rid of it. He's like a devout pacifist, thinks that he can stop war and everything just by not fighting. And uh, unfortunately, he has to learn that that's not the case. So he's got to do a little bit of something. Got to take some action. As Walter from the Big Lebowski would say, pacifism is just no way to handle your shit. That's a big problem. Um, so let's move on to, I think we've talked Luke's arc pretty good. And of course, Luke will come more into play as we discuss the rest of the movie. Let's move on to Snoke, uh, Supreme Leader Snoke and Kylo Ren's relationship post Force Awakens. So where we left off, Kylo Ren had battled Finn and Ray in the forest on Starkiller base. And he'd beaten the shit out of Finn, slice him up the spine, which would really fucking hurt. And then he is, yeah, no, it's like crazy injury. And then... He fights Ray. Of course, he's injured at the time. Kylo had been shot by Chewie's bowcaster, so he's kind of hurting, not necessarily at his full strength. And uh, and so Ray fights him. Ray's powerful in the Force, and she fights him and defeats him. Cuts him across the face to give him a scar that can only remind him of his first real failure on the battlefield, um, like a tangible reminder. So he in the Force. I'm sorry. In the Last Jedi, we find him kind of licking his wounds, 
um, crawling back to Supreme Leader Snoke, his mentor, his, his current father figure. And um, the relationship is at this point a little awkward. It's like if you let your coach down uh, and he, he says, I'm not mad, son, I'm just disappointed. And that's yeah. like the, that's the toughest thing you can hear as, a, as an adolescent still trying to grow into your own, like trying to figure out who the fuck you are, you know? Uh, you know, Kylo Ren between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and all, you know, 10 minutes that it seems have elapsed between those two movies. It probably uh, is. It's probably, you know, a couple hours, literally. Right. So uh, really more his uh, progress here in The Last Jedi. He's like a disgruntled employee or, or he's, you know, he's Tom Brady. But Bill Belichick is like, you know what, Tom, you really lost us that game. You totally blew this. You you know threw an interception. How dare you? You're the worst Belichick would do that ever too. in the history of, of quarterbacks. I can't believe you threw that bullshit interception. You know, you're a piece <laughs> of shit. Get on the bench. And, would fuck Brady's wife after that, probably. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's what Snoke did. Uh, you know, Kylo apparently had some more balls than Brady does, though. So, uh, as we do find out, yeah. And so, so Kylo returns to him after losing this lightsaber battle to a rookie. Uh, Snoke just big leagues him. I mean, pushes all the buttons that he. I mean, he's a manipulative character. He's a very intelligent, manipulative, hyper force aware character. Oh, so he says all the bitch. things. Yes, he's a real damn son of a bitch. Ain't no doubt about that. Uh, so he says, he's, he says, Kylo, you, I thought you were a Vader. You're no Vader. He says, you're just a child in a mask. Oh, man. Crushes burn. with that. And crushes I thought it. when he, he's filled to the brim with self-doubt. That's like a huge part of his character. And I thought that the Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi, I loved the scene because it, it's, it's, it's him. He removes the mask and he we get to see Adam driver's expressive ass face and, and it's it, it, Adam driver acts like a lot with his eyes. And, and there's a lot of extreme close-ups of Adam driver in this movie. So I thought that was great just for pure, like I like to see Adam driver act removing the mask, but then there's this really malevolent moment where Snoke tells Kylo to take off the mask. And it has this really close up of Snoke. And he says it like, he's like, take that ridiculous thing off. Like he's so fucking angry and mean sounding and like, it's like it's like you're about to get grounded and then so then kylo has this great scene uh, right after that where he once snoke once he gets tired of snoke kind of like pushing on him and pushing his buttons he jumps up didn't know what he was going to do necessarily but he jumps oh, up and tries to take to run mouth. he was and then snoke just bam like lightning shocks him away kylo realizes that's not the way if the, if indeed his plan started at that point kylo immediately realizes that that's not how it needs to go a full frontal assault is not the manner in which to do things. No, he's going to so get wrecked. He gets, he gets on the elevator after this, this confrontation. And again, there's this incredible close-up of Adam Driver, like right into his eyes. And he looks down at the mask, and he realizes this mask has been the one thing that's kept him from evolving. He realizes that he needs to kill the past. And that is, stop being a damn Vader disciple. Stop totally focusing on everything that Vader was and become something that Vader wasn't. And that was not a bitch for the Emperor. That was to evolve beyond a, a, a lapdog, evolve beyond the, the you know the Gestapo officer that that goes onto the scene of the you know right after the battles had and acts really mean, but ultimately Hitler's behind the scenes pulling the strings. Be something more than um, just an enforcer. Exactly, and so he he looks at the mask and he and you know of course it, it's been established how like volatile he is, and he has this incredible scene like on the elevator where he just like smashes the mask like with with brute force. And like, you could tell it's more than just, he's never going to wear the mask again. He's literally killing that aspect of what he was. 
And uh, I mean, it, I, I, it's a, it's a, just a great scene where there's no dialogue. It's all driver in this little, and you got to think about it. He's literally standing in a little box set. That thing's not moving. It's not really an elevator. And like the camera's right in his face and he has to give us all this emotion. And it, it was good shit. Um, and I mean, it's like, like the whole time he exists on the screen, he's teeming with anger and unpredictability. I mean, like he looks at all times, like he fucked up and missed someone with his energy sword on halo. And then, right, you know, he misses a swipe and then someone <laughs> sticks him with a sticky grenade right then. And then he just, bam, gone. Like you think you uh, snuck up on someone and you know the feeling everyone knows. And then the motherfucker squatting on you They're right there in your sights. You got the fucking yeah. energy sword, but no, nope. you got the energy sword. The so, yeah, and sons of bitches. Yeah. He looks like that. He looks, he looks just so pissed. What did you think of, you know, what else did you think about um, Snoke and Kylo's relationship post fork away, post force awakens before we get into the big confrontation? Uh, I mean, post force, post force awakens, uh, you know, in the immediate aftermath, Snoke's disappointed. He's pissed off. You know, he, he's, he's going to try and push Kylo in the ways that he knows how, which is to manipulate the ever living shit out of him. And, uh, he's also thinking, well, you know, there's somebody that might have a little bit more potential than Kylo. So let's bring them into the fold too. And, you know, he's obviously got this connection to him. So we're going to use him to do it. So, you know, Snoke is a numbers guy. Like he really doesn't care about any, anything that's going on with Kylo. He cares about what Kylo can do. And, uh, and he's going to use him to do whatever he can. He's not going to throw him away, but he's going to try and manipulate him and he's going to try and point him in the right direction. And, you know, his line about Hux, um, when he's speaking to Kylo right before this confrontation that, uh, you know, Kylo started to, get all uppity and try and challenge him in Hux is walking out and Snoke looks at Kylo and says something along the lines of, I know you don't approve of me, you know, keeping that, I think he calls him a cur, but you know, keeping that little weasel piece of shit or whatever around. Yeah, that's right. uh, Yeah. You know, given the right motivation and manipulated properly, a cur like that can be a sharp tool. Mm -hmm. And that's how Snoke looks at everyone and everything. Uh, Kylo included. And I think that that preface to this interaction is is part of what uh, sparked this in the back of Kylo's mind. You know, Kylo went over to Snoke because he thought that that was, you know, he went for a safe space. He went to to find a place in the universe and whatnot because his family, as far as he was concerned, had betrayed him. And he thought that Snoke was his new family. And that was, that was the first hint that we get that he's picking up to the fact that, Hey man, this guy is not looking out for me. This guy's got something totally different in mind. And he thinks that I'm a cur just like that other dude. I'm nothing more than a sharp tool to be used. That's a good point. I think at that point he realizes that Snoke says whatever you want to hear. Like he's, he's that manipulative yeah. dude that girls fear on tender, you know, that just says exactly what they want to hear at the exact time they want to hear it. And ultimately what's honest, and what's going, their actual motivations. Yeah. Now that, that is, and that is the moment I think that their relationship changes. That is the exact moment that I think Kylo goes from blind allegiance and hero worship to eh, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe should have sooner said, nah, fuck this guy. Yeah, but, probably uh, a lot sooner, but, yeah, but better late than never gone well for him either. Though. Yeah. That's true. Uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier that um, the uh, the the connection 
And so we'll move on into Kylo Ren and Ray's force time sessions. And again, force time was coined by a, a journalist that had an interview with Brian Johnson and they use that. And I think it's great. I think it, it kind of describes exactly what was happening. So Ray's on Achito, the island of the first Jedi temple with Luke trying to convince Luke to train her, but he's frustrating. He doesn't want to. Um, he remembers the last time this happened. Exactly what happened was his temple was left in ruins. His life was left in ruins. He betrayed what family he had left. And it basically was, it ruined his life to the point where he wanted to go away and die. So in the midst of all this, uh, Ray at some point develops these connections with Kylo Ren where they, they look up suddenly they're connected by the force and they're able to talk to each other and see each other, but they can't see each other's surroundings. Um, but it's almost as if they're in the same room. And in fact, during the shooting of it, a little backstory, they, when they shot these scenes, they would um, have the other actor off the set talking, doing the scenes that way that they could do the scenes with each other and be on the same set. They even flew Adam driver out to Ireland to have him do the scenes where he's like close to her um, on the Ireland, Ireland sets. Uh, so, so they can get that real feeling and like, it really feels like they're having a conversation, even though they're in two separate points. And it's also really cool how you can tell Kylo's trying to figure it out. He's trying to, he quickly realizes like, how can I use this to my advantage? How, why is this happening? Why is the force connecting us? And, and what's going on? And um, so Biggie, you still there? I'm still here, man. Okay. Just making sure. Look like you froze. Uh, so, uh, they start talking and, and, and then uh, something I really liked about the, the, their sort of relationship. I think Kylo and Ray, like the most compelling part of this movie and just the whole saga in general, like their sort of relationship. And like Ray says, I need someone to show me my place in all of this. I think this is a story of two adolescents dealing with growing up and, uh, and dealing with their relationship with the divorce developing with, with the force. They're like awkward teenagers growing into their bodies, like trying to figure out the force and, and how powerful it can be and like what, how they can control it. And there's some weird, like sexual tones too, between uh, Kylo and Ray that, I mean, it works like they, they have a real chemistry between them. And it's real. I mean, it really works. It's part of the most entertaining thing to me about Ray's character is she's got this super rough upbringing upbringing. So in, in one sense, you know, she immediately walks into the millennium Falcon and the force awakens and she knows how to fix everything. She knows what's going on. And she's kind of rough and tumble. You know, she kicked the shit out of these two dudes in that little village with her, you know, stick. Cause they were trying to steal BBA and everything. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, she's like this, this formidable person, but there are always little clips and, and they never focus too much on it, but there are these little clips that show, her sense of propriety and of innocence that I think make her an extremely compelling character. Um, so in the last Jedi, the, the two scenes I could think of are, you know, when she sees in force time, uh, she comes in and Kylo has his shirt off, you know, he's, he's been training or, or something like that. And, uh, you know, she's immediately uncomfortable and like averting her eyes just because this guy has his shirt off and, you know, she wants to look away and she wants him to put on a, a, towel, have a, or a towel or yeah. something like that. You know, Oh, yeah. please put your cape back on. Um, and Shout another thing, driver's pecs, dude, that guy's yoked. Oh yeah. Dude got swole between these last couple of yeah. movies. Swole. Uh, but the, the other scene was when it's raining on Octu. And she's sitting underneath the Millennium Falcon and she's just got this giddy smile on her face and she's reaching out from under it to feel rain because Ray has never felt rain before. Right. 
I, that was a great little touch. And I think the movie's full of that is, is these characters feel lived in and real. Yeah. And that's those little scenes like that are what makes this movie fantastic. And, and really what makes most of the star Wars movies so realistic with such an outlandish setting. But initially Kylo and, and Ray rejects him. I mean, she think about their last fight I and mean, she hates this guy. This guy represents evil to her. Yeah. She, I mean, he, the guy he, came in, she finally found a father figure and he comes in right. and immediately murders the shit out of him. And it was his father. So she can't understand one, why anyone would not accept their father Two, why anyone would fucking kill their father. And, and so she's completely, she, she finally understands this guy's motivations. Yeah. She finally found the one thing that she wanted most in the world. And this guy who had had that one thing that she wanted most in the world all his life walked in and immediately broke it. Yep. She can't understand that. I mean, she calls him, uh, she calls him a monster, uh, you know, or, or he references, he says, you, you, you have that look like you had in the forest where you call me a monster. And she says, you are a monster. And he, he like walks forward and he says, yes, I am. It's this very intense scene where like he embraces that title. I, Kylo, I still think like every point in this movie, even towards the end, I still think he's like questioning exactly what he wants to be. I think he's still trying to be that really, really rebellious teenager that's just doing all the things he thinks are evil just to be evil, just to like kind of like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like, wait till I do this. Well, and, yeah, and so and- I think. And in a way, it's kind of understandable. You know, he tried to be good and it let him down, you know, in, in his mind. And from his perspective, he, you know, he went to his uncle, this like. You know, the most like famous said, person like, in the galaxy. Like the most famous awesome. person in, in the most good person in the galaxy, too. Right. And he's like going and like, hanging out with the Pope. So he goes to live with like the Dalai Pope Lama. To, yeah, to, the combination to be, of the Pope yeah, and the Dalai Lama. The, the Dalai Lama and yeah. he trained under him and stuff. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night one night and the freaking Dalai Lama is trying to murder him. Well, let's go. Let's talk that then. You, to talk about the three, the three, those three scenes and talk about sort of the influences that come into play there. Uh, number one, I think it was fantastic the way they did it. I loved the different perspectives. And then, you know, finally, we think we get a perspective that at least it was close to the truth. We assume that it's, it's what really happened. And, you know, it's this horrible, gross miscommunication that, uh, you know, failings on, on Luke's part and, uh, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of cause for those pa- failings on Kylo's part, uh, or at that time Ben. but the way that they played it out and the, uh, I think that, that those three scenes along with the force time were two of the, the plot devices used in this movie that are really loved that I don't see very often. I, I think they've been done before, um, but they're not exactly common and they were used really well in this movie. And I really enjoyed them. I loved those scenes of, you know, Ray and Kylo sitting there talking on the phone in their beds at night while their, their parents are sleeping in the next room and whatnot. Little do they know that somebody's parents listening in the whole time, trying to egg all this on and uh, manipulate it. And then, you know, you have a, a story, you know, one huge event that totally changed the course of the galaxy and, you know, made Kylo Ren into what he is. And, and you're getting multiple aspects of it. You know, you're learning that it's not completely black and white and uh, something that Star Wars has always been 
is good versus evil and, and you're either good or you're evil. You know, there's not really, there's not much of an in-between, you know, it's, it's, Hey, Darth Vader's bad guy right now, or he's a good guy. And it took him about a minute to go from bad guy to good guy and return to the yeah. Jedi. Yeah, it did. And, and, and so there's not a whole lot of gray area, but Ray and Kylo Ren demonstrate a lot of gray area in this movie. And it, and it was good to see. They're sort of evolving to that the, the spot they need to be in and the spot the Sith and the Jedi always got wrong, which is you never want to be on one side of anything so severely that you're not able you're able to ignore the intricacies of life, you know? Yeah, which is one of those the great quotes from the prequel trilogy is Obi-Wan Kenobi saying that only a Sith deals in absolutes, which is Yeah, Obi-Wan, you, you fucking know, asshole. An absolute statement. Yeah. You dipshit. Come on, bro. Obi-Wan man. Got his gun dark stuck in Anakin's asshole or whatever. Oh, what, a, what a rookie. Yeah, um, I agree. I, the three stories being told of of Kylo Ren's fall were great. They apparently paid some sort of homage to um, Kurosawa uh, as well. I believe there is a, a lot of in this movie. Yeah, Rasha Shaman storytelling, I believe, is what it's called. Uh, it's, where, it's, right. it's where you tell it's where you tell the same story from three different three different perspectives, um, with the final one kind of being like maybe closer to the truth. And I loved it. I think it, it made a lot of sense for Luke to have an idea of what happened, kind of have told himself this I, like idealized, I did nothing wrong story. Kylo also told himself, uh, idealized my master betrayed me, so I needed to go on and, and do I did nothing wrong. Me, and I didn't do anything wrong, right. And, uh, and then the truth was, there was a combination and ultimately a self-fulfilling prophecy. Luke senses these dark thoughts in Kylo Ren's head, ben, young Ben Solo at that point, who's just chilling it. Like they're in high school, dude. He's like, He's like, right, he's in his dorm room and he's got he's like, a kid. His, he's a kid. He's in his dorm room. Um, he's been training for a while. He's very powerful. He doesn't know how to handle it. Uh, and then, and he wakes up to his uncle holding, like holding an ignited lightsaber, uh, you know, over him. And there's no, there's no other reasonable conclusion to jump to, but for that Luke was going to kill him. Uh, and of course Luke tries to stop it. But I think, I wonder if the dark thoughts that Luke saw in his head were, what he was thinking currently or was going to think once he got betrayed. So like, I, I think that Luke might've seen the future and he in, in unwittingly created the future of betraying his nephew and then creating what we now know to be Kylo Ren. Um, and, 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 or maybe he was all, I mean, maybe he was always a bad seed. Maybe he, he did have too much Anakin in him and he was always kind of destined to, even if, even his, at his best would never be like a true good guy. Just a guy that could never be like straight up good, maybe gray, but certainly not like upstanding Luke or Obi-Wan type figure. Uh, you know, always elusive is the force, as Yoda would say. Uh, always elusive is the force. <laughs> <laughs> That's way better than I could do it. I'm not even going to try and do that justice. Uh well, uh, yeah, I'll bring my Yoda back yeah, every now and then. That's an interesting thought, though. You know, did Luke seal his own fate? Uh, did he see the future and, and misread it? I think he did. I, I, that's yeah. how I've interpreted it. I think that if that none of this would have happened if he would have sat his nephew down and talked to him about everything. Well, and, I agree with that. Uh, you know, but but the idea that maybe the darkness wasn't even there. That, that oh yeah, he, right. Luke, you know, birthed the darkness with this misinterpretation or whatever of, of the future, right? And uh, him thinking that it was something in the present, and uh, you know, that's where we get to. The big on Luke is fear is what was his downfall. 
you mentioned earlier too something great that was that their force time sessions between Ray and, and Kyler are very similar to like high school conversations you sneak away in your room I, I thought it was a great touch when at the end of their once they've really once Ray goes down in this dark side cave and has this sort of moment where she kind of lets herself get pulled to the dark side a little bit and asks a very selfish question she tries to like use the force to figure out something she's always wanted to know purely for personal gain who her parents are and she's telling Kylo this she's like intimately next to this fire in her hut Kylo's right there and she's she's telling him intimately this story about how she should have been scared yeah and and they've already because he's only person she can talk to because Luke keeps rejecting her and and they have this moment where they touch and there's this close-up shot of the there's a lot of really close-up shots of faces and eyes and hands like grasping and, and, and so there's a close-up shot of them touching, and Luke's running back, and the second they touch hands, Luke, uh, Ray and Kylo, Luke r- flies open the door and sees them. And it was literally like, like your parents catching you like in, a, in an act, like a sex act with like a girlfriend or something in high school. Like He like goes, get away, you know, get out of here. And then he blows up the hut with the force. He had just recently kind of let the force back in. And I really like that touch. Like Ryan Johnson realized how it felt, how, that it felt very secret communication you know and then he, he he knew that luke would react that way he knew that he would be angry and uh and then he boots ray off the island that was sort of the point where luke felt shit it happened again like i literally like started to train this chick and she went right to the the most evil guy that i've ever created and they're boys now and they're probably gonna date and it's like the dad that, that you know your, your daughter dates this douchebag boyfriend that wears metallica t-shirts all the time yeah yeah a tap house even better driving some shitty camaro yeah coming yeah, over there picking some, your daughter up honking outside never never coming up there and, and coming inside to shake the father's hand that kind of shit and luke's luke realizes like damn it i fucked up again so he kicks her off and at this point it brings us right into an excellent scene uh, ray leaves she leaves on the falcon to save her friends or to just like Luke. And just like Luke. At this point, she thinks she sees they both see each other's future. Kylo sees Ray's parents and knows her intentions. And Ray sees that Kylo has a, a, a future, a timeline in which he's a good guy again. And so she rushes off to redeem him. And, uh, and so it leaves Luke. It is one another dark point, another point of failure. And, uh, and this is kind of goes to your theme. He goes back to the Jedi tree, the, the tree on Achito that houses the ancient Jedi texts. And he put, and I love, here's another touch too. And I think you'll agree. He has these, he has his Jedi robes and he only puts them on for like ceremonial occasions. Oh, that was really cool. Like he yeah. senses Ray. Well, I guess he doesn't sense Ray, but he, maybe he Which sees I, the Falcon. I kind of want to know why he was wearing, I mean, is that why he was wearing them in the opening scene or was, was he just, you yeah. know, was it Sunday? So he's dressing it up a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He was in his Sunday best, you know? So he's going to go to like, he's going to go eat nukes after this meeting with uh, Ray and oh, enjoy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so <laughs> I interpreted it like you saw the Falcon. He's really going to splurge. <laughs> Get a little uh, croissant in your salad there. Luke's a worldly guy. He eats a lot of things besides that green fucking milk and all the fish he kills. <laughs> and all those harpoon fish. Yeah, man. Uh, guy's still an athlete, man. He pole vaults over to the... Uh, and I love that Ray's like, well, like be oh. careful, you know? And then and he's like, he has this smile on his face. Like well, that look young here, little girl. I got this. Yeah. I love that. Like it was exactly... It was such a character moment that that it wasn't part of the main plot, but it was like... Hey, this is still Luke. You know, this is still the guy that would totally bullseye womp rats. 
Yeah. Um, you know, one of those things that make you believe the characters. It's all in the tiny details like that that make a character believable. Right. So, so, I, so the way, and, and we'll get back into the the forest tree scene in a second. But the way I interpret it was, she saw the falcon. He, Luke saw the falcon land, changes into his dress robes to receive whoever it was, and and then you see immediately in the Force Awakens after he like throws the lightsaber. I'm sorry, in the Last Jedi, he goes back to his hut and folds them neatly. Like he takes them off, he folds them neatly and puts them in its like reserve corner of his hut and changes back into like his regular clothes. And so, like, and then he puts the robes puts on the again. Puts on. He's ready to go to work. Yeah, exactly. He puts, uh, yeah, exactly. He puts on his dickies and uh, his built-to-work brand. But, <laughs> his Carhartt jacket. Um, <laughs> he definitely had Carhartt Jedi robes at that point. There's no doubt in my mind that Carhartt sponsored those, those robes. Oh, 100%, man. <laughs> Is there a Bass Pro on the backside of Ochto, man? Because I, I could have sworn I saw him uh, had a pontoon boat on the other side of that island there. It's possible. The real question is, you know, whether he had Eric Church tuned up on his yeah. uh, iPod while he was sitting in there in his hut. Uh, no doubt, no doubt, just sipping on whiskey and uh, and contemplating. But uh, so anyway, so he puts on these uh, these robes again, his nice ceremonious or ceremonial Jedi robes, and goes to burn down the temple. He goes to burn down these ancient Jedi texts that he views the Jedi religion as the reason that he's incur- like experienced all this pain. And then, who? What else happens? Then do we see right. one of the most? So, so before we go into this, because oh, okay. I know where this is going, and this is a whole other rabbit hole that we need okay. to go down. Uh, I want to go back to the scene where Luke finds Kylo and Ray in the hut. Right? You know, he, okay. he comes in, he's a father bursting in, and you know, catching his daughter or whatever in a compromising situation, he freaks out, blows the walls right. off the thing. You get uh, out! I basically, said that to him. So. Right before then, though, I mean, he's he's like he's running down to the hut, right? Um, and, and so, kind of in the moment, you maybe think that he knows somehow or another that something's wrong with Ray. But really, when I saw it the the second couple of times, and I've heard someone else talk about this too, that really, you know, uh, pointed me to this fact or this idea. Um, he didn't have any reason to believe anything's going wrong with Ray, but what he had just done, the the scene before this that we had seen Luke in. Is Luke reconnected with the Force? Luke right. reached out Leia. across the galaxy, the galaxy, and he touched Leia. Right, and he figured. You know, she wakes up. She says, "Luke," and uh, you know, you have to think in that moment. He sees what's going on. So, what if Luke's running down because he sees his sister in this peril? You know, Luke has always had a weakness for his friends, for his loved ones, and everything. He's running down there to say, "Ray, I changed my mind. I'm ready to go and help." And, 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 you know, that's, that's the moment when he reaches out and when he sees Leia and all that trouble that he realizes there is a need for him. He realizes that maybe things really are as bad as she says, and maybe I really can still help. And so he runs down there and then he sees that she's, you know, for all he knows in league with Kylo. Right. I mean, it, the one thing he, the worst possible thing that he could have seen, he saw like that. That's like the one thing that he didn't want her to fall prey to, which is exactly what his nephew uh, did. And he, he already saw yeah. it paralleling yeah. that. Uh, that's a great point. He already saw her, 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 she was very powerful innately with the force. Uh, she, he even says, he says, I've only felt power like this once before and been solo. And then you, you can tell how scared he is. And another great, just little Terrifying performance moment by him. Yeah. He like looks at her uh. and he says, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've felt that once before uh, and been solo. 
and he says, I'm not going to like, we're not going to do this again. You know, he's like, it didn't scare me enough then, or it didn't scare me enough then, but it does now. That it does now. And like, he just turns around and you could tell he's like, again, regretting training her. I mean, he looked like a frightened animal in that scene too. He did. It's incredible acting. It was, it was. And he's honestly, he's not getting enough credit. I mean, a lot of people have said he was great, but I I mean, you and I at least give him the props that uh, Hamill deserves. That was great. The, the guy's um, a killer actor. It, yeah. The way that his career has gone is a travesty. And I know he did a lot of great voice acting work, but the man deserved a lot more. Agreed. That's a good take though. I didn't, I didn't think that about like, I knew that he connected with Leia and it was supposed to establish that he was back connected to the force. Um, but I, it does make sense that he was rushing down to tell her that let's do this. Uh, yeah, and then let's and then go. He's like, the she's in trouble. Yeah. We got to get there. We got to fix it. And, right. and then he and says, oh, shit. Oh, my God. I've been fooled again. I've messed up again because, uh, you know, I, I let the situation get out of control. I let it get away from me, you know, and, and, and I thought it was one way. And really, these are all the problems associated with it. And you know what? This is just my fault for trusting the force again. There's this great moment shortly after that, too, where Ray confronts him and they, they fight. They physically fight. Ray starts attacking him with the staff, which was a blast. Yeah, Luke, Luke rips down this uh, this like kind of impromptu staff with the force and and defeats her in solo combat. An old man defeats like this super powerful young woman in solo combat with the staffs, like de-arm, disarms her, and then she calls the lightsaber and raises it, and and he falls back because like the lightsaber to him represents that last step towards re- going right back into the Jedi religion. So he like will not touch them. And there's this great scene after that when he after he tells her what actually happened between him and Kylo. Uh, where where she tries to hand him the lightsaber as the last ditch, come with me. Like this is your lightsaber. Let's do this. And he Please won't take it. it. He he won't take it. He, he it, to him it's that 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 object has so much negative connotation that it's like the word legend. No, it's like Batman and guns, man. Yeah, except for the Batman versus Superman, Batman who'd be blowing motherfuckers away. Oh yeah, he kills the shit out of everybody. But that's a different story. Yeah. That's different. Even though it's canon, different story. <laughs> uh, no, so let's yeah, go okay. back. You know, I diverted you from the, the story about the tree, right? The original. Sure, here we are. And, we're, at the, uh, we're at the tree. You know, this is and, one of the, and, the, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, and rehash where we are in the plot. Well, no, I mean, uh, you know, we're at the tree and then, and then, and then who do we see, but our favorite 900 year old Jedi master, Yoda and uh, boy, uh, hmm, surprise we were because uh, I certainly were was surprised that Yoda shows up. Uh, and and it, guess what? It's quirky fun Yoda again. It's not you know weird so, fucking CGI prequel Yoda. And that that is just, point. So what was your very yeah. first thought when you saw Yoda's ears? You know, the back of his head is the first thing that you see. What was the first thought that ran through your mind? I thought. Oh shit! I, like I literally thought shit. My first like, thought was like probably shit's about to get real. Or, 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 okay, so good. Oh shit! Good. Oh shit! Yeah, I, I was excited, and I realized like that we were about to have Yoda drop some wisdom on a very like befuddled Luke. And I seeing him in this sort of situation, where it was like an older Luke, and he's still a Force ghost, like still communicates with Luke. I guess probably hadn't much. Once Luke cut himself off from the Force, he probably hadn't talked to Yoda and. Years, yeah, well, like that, you know, that's years. an interesting question to ask all of the the people that keep the canon and everything like that. Is uh, can non force users communicate with force ghosts? Is it the force ghost doing all the forcing, or is it uh you know the the living you know in the material plane being doing a little bit of the forcing 
that allows them to communicate? Historically, I would say no. We've never seen that. So I would, I mean, I, I've interpreted it like you have to be a Jedi yeah. to see the ghost. Um, but so what did you think when you first I, saw uh, Yoda? You know, I'm not going to lie to you. The first thought that went through my head when I saw Yoda was, oh no, this is going to end badly. Okay. Um, but they killed it. I, and, and, you know, I think that the reason I was worried and that I was apprehensive at first was because I could remember what they did to Yoda in the prequels, uh, where they really undercut his character. And only in Revenge of the Sith did you see even hints of what the character was about in Empire and Jedi. But they brought back the original trilogy, Yoda. And you touched on this just a second ago, but they brought him in and they really focused on all the qualities that made him this great sci-fi like archetype you know his eccentric attitude and his totally childish nature but his deep wisdom at the same time and then his like super peaceful you know doesn't want to raise a hand to anything but he's also incredibly powerful and and that's the demeanor that he carries and he's just this ridiculous guy full of old man jokes that is super wise and super powerful and and willing to laugh at any kind of fart joke or whatever that comes along. And uh, that was what made him so entertaining in Empire. Uh, you know, I mean, the guy was sitting there willing to get into a, a little slap fight with a robot over a, uh, a freaking Slim Jim or whatever it was. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a Slim Jim. <laughs> um, and, you know, so they, they brought back the Yoda and they, they brought back everything that the prequels got wrong about Yoda. And, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how well they pulled it off because it was a wonderful scene for him. And he, you know, it was knock some sense into Luke. I mean, such a risk. Point, the point where he just pops Luke on the nose, uh, you know, like a dog with a newspaper or something like that, telling him like, look, dude, you're still this young kid compared to me. Like, why haven't you learned anything that I've taught you? You totally missed everything that I tried to tell you, get it together. And that's, and he, you know, Yoda brings up, I think in that, in that scene, what I think is the central theme to this entire movie, which is failure. Um, and he tells him, you got to learn from a man. And failure is the best teacher. Yeah. And, and so don't hide your failures from other people. Teach other people about your failures. Let them, let them do a little bit better because you messed up. Don't dwell on your failures, but grow beyond. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I agree. With everything you just said, I, he was, he was Yoda again. And I, I, okay. So when I first saw him, I thought this is risky, but I trust Ryan and I, he delivered. I mean, he wrote maybe some of the best Yoda lines in the entire series, which is insane. When you think about how much was hanging on this moment, you have yeah. Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill reprising this role. Then you have Yoda appearing as a force ghost, like in, of, in front of the original Jedi temple while the Jedi texts are about to burn. Think about like, if you told a, a nerd that, I mean, that is like the two most, years ago. It's like one of the most dynamic or, or the most famous combinations of two sci-fi fantasy characters ever. Right. Uh, you know, the, they're like Stockton Malone, dude, or like Jordan. Yeah, they really are. They yeah. really are. Yeah, they and are. Uh, that's how nerds look at these guys. <laughs> and I would know because, you know, I'm kind of a giant nerd. But Man, if you can't uh, tell all the listeners here. We're definitely nerds. Like we're diving into the trenches here. And we're yeah, I don't know if y'all done unturned. For those of you that uh, aren't as apprehensive, yeah, just to, just to admit it, or perceptive. That would be the right word, not apprehensive. Yeah, 
Yeah, there well, you be go. drinking that Jameson, man. You sometimes Jameson get your tongue a little tied. Uh, you know, occasionally. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought it was great. I thought he he even highlighted Luke's sort of old farm boy looking over the horizon. He says that yeah. he goes, keep your always looking over the horizon, Skywalker. Like keep your mind here right now where it belongs. And he says, uh, he, and then also this is this is this grows the force. This calls lightning down from the sky to strike the Jedi temple and light it on fire. So Luke, he's a bad motherfucker. He's a bad motherfucker. His wallet says bad motherfucker on it, but like he, he literally as a force ghost does that. So that kind of grows what we like. Maybe we see Luke doing something like that in episode nine. I uh, really hope so. Uh, so we, he burns the, the tree down. Luke says, what are you doing? The Jedi text like that. You can't like do this. So he's like, so it is time for the Jedi to end. And, and Yoda says, time it is for you to realize that this isn't the point. He's like that. Those are a bunch of old books. He says page turners. They were not like he totally makes fun. Yeah. I mean, the, he just sits there and he totally poo-poo's the idea of uh, of these books in there. And he's like, "Come on, dude, you're missing the point. These don't mean shit. Don't worry about it." But then at the same time, that's I kind of wonder about. So at the end, we see that Ray has all the books. Right. Yoda tells it. Luke that look, the the girl already has everything that was in those books because she literally has literally has them. Yeah, that was in those books. And I love um, that part. Uh, you know, so what did he mean when he's, is he, is he trying to deceive Luke or something like that? I, I think that, I guess, I mean, he seems like he burns the tree down before Luke can realize the books aren't in there. Uh, but ultimately it was to teach a lesson. Ultimately Luke needed to see that Yoda didn't care about the books at that point. Luke needed to think they were being burned to learn that lesson, that failure is the best teacher. And then he delivers what might be the best Yoda line of all time. He says, we are what we grow beyond. That is the burden of all masters, that our progeny, the, our, our mentees, the people we teach, those people and what they go on to do and what they go on to learn from the things that we did poorly, that's what matters. And as a master, as a Jedi master, you take on a mantle of someone that's a teacher, you're a teacher for life. And I, I mean, I thought that I just got chills when he said that. And then John Williams, baby, that you start to hear that, that music that plays whenever Yoda lifts the X-Wing out of Dagobah. Mm-hmm. And it has that it's, it, it starts to play and all those tones start coming into your head and it just harkens back all these feelings. And then you realize you're seeing Yoda and Luke again. And it's just incredible, dude. Like that's, oh, man. that's John Williams kid can, can make any movie good just by yeah, uh, putting the right music to it. It's incredible. The man is yeah. the most talented at what he does that it has ever been. Oh, without a doubt. Um, so yeah, I mean, do you have any more to talk about on the Yoda scene? If, if so, or if not, then I'll go into a different scene. I think we need to discuss. No, let's go on and uh, let's get to it. 